Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with George Salazar. I've known this guy for a while. Met him uh, about two years ago, I guess, and we've we've run into each other in, a, in the Broadway circles and worked together on a few projects. And just in the last year, year and a half, especially now with the pandemic and being isolated, his journey of self-discovery just got incredibly accelerated. And he, he tells a story, and it comes it comes out of this whole works and process artists video that he made is commissioned by the Guggenheim. And he wrote about what he knows, which is growing up as a mixed race kid and having no idea where he fit. His father's Ecuadorian, his mother's Filipino. He didn't know literally which radio button to choose on standardized tests when it asks you what your race is. He didn't belong. And it was reminded of that fact by his peers quite frequently. But like a lot of people, he has a story of finding his tribe through theater. He accidentally discovered theater. I will attribute to Weird Al. You have to <laughs> listen to the episode to figure that out. So thanks to Weird Al, he accidentally discovered theater, then went to University of Florida with a biology major before, of course, changing it and graduating with uh, with his degree in theater. But just a damn nice guy. I am honored to know him. Everybody, please leave a rating, leave a review for the podcast. Find me online. Send me a message on Instagram or Twitter at theater underscore podcast. You can actually watch the video version of this on Patreon, ttp.fm slash p-a-t-r-e-o-n. And the proceeds of that go to making more transcriptions and the ongoing production costs for running a podcast, which is not cheap. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with George Salazar. Today's guest catapulted into the limelight after originating the role of Michael Mell in, well, all the U.S. productions of Be More Chill, which garnered him a Lucille Lortel Award before taking the show onto Broadway. In addition, his credits include Off-Broadway's The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical, and most recently, the Pasadena Playhouse production of Little Shop of Horrors, of course, as Seymour. TV and film appearances include CBS's Bull, HBO's Divorce, NBC's Superstore, and is also also currently starring as sleazeball agent Maxwell Fernsby in Broadway's first original soap opera podcast radio play called As the Curtain Rises. I was trying to do my best Alex Brightman there. It's very George, good. Thank you. It's George Salazar. Welcome to the theater podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here, man. Man, gosh, I man. this is completely unrelated to you and me, but but I'm on like this voiceover kick. Uh, I've been watching Big Mouth. Have you ever seen Big Mouth on Netflix? Yeah, of course, of course. Like it's, I feel like it's a masterclass in voiceover artistry by Nick uh, Kroll. It, it is. He's a genius. He's a master. Um, uh, yeah, we my, are all my, lucky to have that. <laughs> my wife hates it when I do the. Uh, I forget what his name is. The old. Decrepit hormone monster. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway. Um I think you found your calling. 
Hey, my dudes. Professional uh, okay. Nick Kroll imp- impersonator. Yeah, I'm impersonating Nick Kroll, impersonating everybody else. All right, so back to <laughs> back to George. Um, you you currently you just put out something with the virtual commissions premieres. Uh, works in process artists, right? Yeah. Or is it that I get that backwards? Works in process artists, virtual commissions premieres. Yes, that's it. Uh, okay, through, so through our friends at the Guggenheim. Yeah. Yes. So what is the WPA for those who? <laughs> Do not know. So, um, so works in process. Back in 2019, um, works in process invited uh, Joe Iconis, myself, um, Stephanie Shu, Will Roland, um, Chase Brock, and Stephen Brackett and Joe Trace over to the Guggenheim to have like kind of a little uh, talk back discussion about the process uh, of creating Be More Chill, um, you know, a couple years ago to bringing it to, to New Jersey, then, then you know, kind of explaining the process of the show, going kind of viral on the internet, um, and then leading to the show finally making its New York premiere, um, and then eventually Broadway. And so, um, so you know, once the pandemic hit, uh, they were really wanting to... Um, get out and support artists. And uh, what they ended up doing was reaching out to uh, every artist who participated in a works in process uh, at the Guggenheim um, and offered a commission to basically say like, you have carte blanche, uh, create a video no more than five minutes long about whatever you want. Um, It can be as personal or not personal as you want it to be. and send it over to us. And and yeah, so it was their way of kind of helping to support artists who, you know, during the shutdowns were kind of, you know. So yours, your video that you made, it's a little, it's like a couple seconds over five minutes. It's super wonderful and consumable. And it's called My Identity by George Salazar. And I, I thought it would be a wonderful place to kick off our conversation here because I've heard you talk about this before uh, on other podcasts or even in, in person, I think we've talked about it once or twice, but like your personal identity being uh, a mixed, a child of, of well, you're, you are mixed race. Your, your father is Ecuadorian, your mother's Filipino. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't want to tell your story here. You're struggling, <laughs> struggling to fit in your whole life, which I think most of us in theater kind of have been. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, that's what initially as an artist, like, attracted me to Joe Iconis' work is that he writes specifically for, um, you know, those square pegs trying to fit into round holes, just, the you know, what I used in that, in that video. But, um, yeah, no, I think we all kind of struggle to fit in, and I think everyone's struggle is different, right? And and so, you know, when I was approached by Duke Dang at the Guggenheim to be a part of this um, and to create something, I, you know, there's that, like, old adage of write what you know, and, you know, over the uh, past couple months living through this pandemic, um, I really feel like uh, it's been, you know, one of the the silver linings of it all is that I've been able to kind of like look within and grow as a person, right? Like using this time wisely. And, um, and so, you know, part of that had been like, you know, um, 
writing a lot about my own experience and then also finally talking to my mixed race friends about their experiences, right? Like, I think it's something that we all kind of, I don't know, you know, we, you, you, you always want to like put your best foot forward and represent yourself as like, you know, someone who has their shit together, but like (laughs) sometimes you just don't. And, um, and so, you know, I've had like a lot of really eye-opening and powerful conversations with friends of mine who I've known for like 10 years, right? And we just like, we never really sat down to talk about being mixed race and, um, and all the identity uh, crises that 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 come from that, um, and so, you know that that video that I created was kind of a culmination of the last couple months of me really like digging deep and trying to, um, you know, trying to understand who I am and all of my complexity, and also like appreciate and value um, the those things that make me that used to make me feel like you know a fish out of water and just like, (laughs) you know, not able to fit in. I I now in my adult years can look at those things and say like, damn, I'm really, I'm really glad that I am who I am. Um, And, um, and yeah, yeah. It's interesting to me, you know, hindsight's always 2020 and literally here in 2021, it's actually literally 2020. (laughs) Um, But corny dad jokes aside, um, what I hear a lot interviewing people on the podcast is that what makes you different is what makes you special. And you're supposed to go into auditions. Like their advice is to go into these auditions and make a choice and be yourself. And and it, I forget um, who said it recently. It was somebody who was like, somebody went in and they went and they left the audition and said, oh, I lost that audition. I screwed it up. And and whoever I was talking to said, well, it wasn't yours to begin with, right? Mm. Like, it's, if it's not yours, it's not yours, so be yourself. But along those lines, it's acting, performing, and I'm bringing this back to you too, as, as somebody who, as you said in your video, didn't know which bubble to fill in on when it literally. asks you the question, literally what bubble to fill in of what yeah. race are you? And that stumped you and caused you anguish and stress for a long time, right? Because you chose yeah. one and that, it, no matter who you chose, you would have, as you said in the video, erased one of your other parents. Yeah. And I feel like there's so much, I mean, there's so much about you that kind of screams self-discovery and introspection. And I think part of what it, this video, uh, very much so, by the way, the the notes for those listening in the show notes, you can find the link to the video. But even Michael, uh, Michael Mel, Michael in the bathroom, it's about this kid who is just like aching to fit in. Mm-hmm. And... And now, you know, you're in your mid-30s and... Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I was looking at your Wikipedia page. It's out there. Um, yeah, so you're... Um, yeah, you're, you were saying mid, mid-20s, right? Yeah, mid, yeah, you're like just <laughs> turned 21, uh, 25. You can rent a car. Um, but you've been through a lot, including... Uh, publicly talking about vocal injuries and now this identity, sort of ongoing identity crisis for lack of any existential identity questioning, right? Yeah, sure, and, sure. Yeah. And I guess where I'm going with all of this is, is, is your quest, your desire to be part of, of the stage and to be acting, like to get that 
validation or to get that um, approval that maybe you weren't allowing yourself to receive when you were growing up or even as a young adult, feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome as you start to work the way up the ranks in theater and performing and working alongside these greats that you used to realize that you wouldn't, you used to think you wouldn't have contact with. And now you're performing alongside them, but you still don't know who you are. Does that make does that make sense? There's a question in there somewhere, and I'm trying to. Yeah, trying to... yeah. Um, I think I'm. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'm with you. I. Um, uh, it took like many years, and I am now. I think at the stage where I like feel empowered to share my like journey on the story, of my journey. But um, I I have a pretty solid understanding of who I am now, and so you know what I'm what I'm wrestling with now is less of self discovery. And needing validation and more, you know, I, I've i been really fortunate to be, like, allotted a platform um, through Be More Chill, right? And, um, you know, the, the, the perfect story to kind of sum up my whole mission now is that, you know, when I was doing Be More Chill on Broadway, I can probably, I would say, like, at the stage door, there were probably, throughout that whole run, 20 kids who looked like me at that stage door. Um, And it, this kind of fueled my move to New York, to LA, excuse me, um, uh, initially. And it was this, this idea that like, you know, I realized growing up, um, I, we, my family, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't Broadway people. I didn't know what a Broadway musical was. Um, It wasn't a part of our lives. Um, And I realized it's because you know, my parents, um, they couldn't afford to fly us to New York and pay for hotel accommodations and buy these, you know, really expensive Broadway show tickets for the whole family. Like, that just wasn't a part of our budget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, are so many people out there who can't afford that. Um, our, our industry isn't really accessible to p- the people who... I mean, look at what theater has done for me, right? Like, I discovered it accidentally in high school. Um, But if I hadn't, right, like, what would my life have been? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there, I just think about all the people, all the kids who look like I did, who um, are, you know, looking for a place where they can fit in. And theater very much was a, a place for me, right? Like, I didn't have to... Um, I didn't have to, you know, try to overcompensate one side of my upbringing over the other. I could just be me. And so I decided to move to LA and I decided to try to like, you know, do things here because I realized people can't really afford to go see theater in New York, but everyone has a Netflix password. Yeah. Right? And... I saw through Little Shop, actually, at Pasadena Playhouse when, I, you know, I do the show and we come out the stage door and there were suddenly, like, the whole line of, of, of people at the stage door looked like I did when I was <laughs> young. And I was like, oh, my God, this makes so much more sense. When the tickets are $40 mm-hmm. <laughs> and not in New York City, um, when the tickets are $40, they come. 
they're here and they want it, right? And so I, in that moment, realized like, okay, okay, okay. Like this next chapter of my uh, artistry and my life, just as like a a human being, a person, Uh is to create for those people so that um, they have someone who looks like them that they can look to and feel um, like anything is possible. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's where my journey has led me today. And like, that is what fueled that video, um, and creating that for works in process. I was so terrified, Alan, like I was so nervous about, um, about putting that out there. As I said, and as I say in the very beginning of the video, like I play other people, like I tell other people's stories and to just like be so um, honest and uh, vulnerable um, and not really like like ask people for advice about this video. Like I had a conversation with two friends about it um, before before submitting it, you know, not having like an entire <laughs> crew of people, you know, give me notes on it was really scary. And I had no idea what to expect. And I I, I was fully ready for people to like not watch this video at all. And then it ended up, I ended up getting like flooded with response from people who are mixed race and not, um, who felt like they really like um, uh, were able to relate to the, to, to the piece. And um, that made me very happy. Uh, and it also like made me feel uh, less nervous uh, about putting more out there. Um, that's got more of a personal touch to it. So it was overall, I think, a really powerful process for me of like making, creating this thing. It was great for my family too. Like my parents are, they, my mom watches watches it every day. That was my (laughs) next question was what their feedback was. Yeah. Yeah, no, they loved it, you know? And, 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 you know, the, the video, it really is like a culmination of a couple of projects, writing projects that I had been focusing on in the months prior to um, COVID ruining our lives. And then uh, also throughout the pandemic, I'd been like writing a couple things and writing like specifically this uh, really great piece about my my parents meeting, which is like kind of a only in America, only in New York kind of a love story of like this like Filipino immigrant meeting an Ecuadorian immigrant like that just doesn't happen. Like you, you, it's, 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 it's a quintessential, it's called an American love story. That's like what the working title is right now, because it is like, it's an American love story. Like that, that's not a story that you hear in the Philippines or in Ecuador, right? Like it's, it's, it's so quintessentially American. And so, you know, um, yeah, um, it's been it's been like a quite the eye opening experience, and like uh, and getting to share that with people and uh, has just been like really such a treat and and a really nice silver lining, you know. You said so you much said your darkness. your mom watches it every day. I yeah. I don't see why not. It's it's a beautiful it's a love little <laughs> letter to your parents as much as it is sort of exposing you know the own struggles that you've had, but. Did did your did you talk about your own thoughts? I guess with your parents before it or after it, or have have they changed? Like the more that I guess, just like any kid, you know, I'm I'm forty, and anything I put out that's personal, the first thing I always think of is, are my parents gonna like me? 
And I don't know if that's healthy or not, but it's still the first thing that I go to. And it's, it's still, it's like ingrained in our head. So, and I had a pretty decent, I was fortunate enough to have a pretty decent childhood. And, you know, both parents were there and they came to all my soccer games. And being white, both parents are white, we never talked about race. But when I'm trying to get them to understand it, or putting in anything personal, personally vulnerable, just has to, that has to do with my own mental health. I always press send or enter or upload or whatever it is. And then I'm like, okay, when am I going to hear from my parents? Hmm. That's, that's my first response in my head. Like, did that, yeah. did that happen with you? Or did you talk about that beforehand? I, I assume many people have many different slash better relationships with their parents about this kind of stuff. Yeah, um... No, my parents, um, I, you know, I, I interviewed them. I've asked them many questions, you know, specifically when I was like starting to write that love story, um, piece about them. Um, I wanted to make sure that like I got, you know, um, got everything right. Um, I, 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 I'm very familiar with their story at this point. Um, and so they trust, they, I know they trust me and they, they trust my storytelling. Um, and they are also the type of, I mean, they are the most supportive people. Um, you know, they're uh, a bit more context, like uh, growing up, my, everyone on my mom's side is like in the medical profession. My older sister's a dentist and my younger sister's an occupational therapist. So like our family is like, heavily, deeply ingrained in like the medical field. And I was, um, I had always wanted to be a surgeon. I always wanted to be a neurosurgeon. At one point I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, and so when I decided to switch gears and become an actor, it took my parents, well, my mother was like, yeah, like immediately right off the bat. My dad was like, I'll, I'll pay for law school. Um, uh, you know, um, at this point they are both, my biggest fans and biggest supporters. And um, yeah, I mean, fortunately for me, like I, I don't ever feel that kind of anxiety. It's, it's less of, I, I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that no matter what I put out there, even if it's like complete shit, my parents are going to think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you've at least got, you've got two people in your corner, no matter what you do. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I want to go back to what you said a second ago about accidentally discovering theater because I I don't I don't think I've heard all of this story and mm. I know that that well you tell it you tell it how did you accidentally just become this Broadway powerhouse? I, um, I, like I said, we were not like, I, the theater wasn't a thing. Uh, the closest thing to musicals that I ever consumed were like the Disney mo cartoon movies, you know, the, specifically the Lion King. I just remember, I mean, I watched the Lion King once a week gr growing up. Um, that, that was kind of as, 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 as deep into musicals as I, as I got, um, but I was always like a, I was always the class clown. I was always the like family comedian when I was like 
11, my parents, when we'd be at like, you know, family friend's house for like a gathering or birthday party, they would always like say like, do your Bill Clinton impression. I was like 11 years old and they would ju- I would just stand there and I would just go, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And I really don't think it was a good impression, but of course <laughs> no, my parents not. are just like, look at this kid, he's hilarious. <laughs> and so like, there was always a bit of like a want to entertain. I just, it never crossed my mind that that is a thing that people could do. And it's not my parents' fault, right? It's just, it, I just, it never crossed my mind that that was a, a I, I couldn't even grasp the concept of like doing that. So, um, so I was also a big nerd and a huge Weird Al fan. And Me I too. used Love to, oh, I used to re, I used to write parody songs and I, they were always like not safe for school, really vulgar. Um, very graphic. <laughs> uh, I was always trying to like shock and like push the envelope with my friends. And I wrote this parody of Britney Spears' uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time. And it was uh, aptly called Hit Me Baby One More Time. And I sang it for my friends in a computer class um, very quietly. Um, and the president of the drama club was a year older, but had skipped uh, that class the year prior. So he had to take it again with a bunch of like, you know, the younger students. Mm-hmm. So like he, we, we always like, we kind of just like, no one really talked to him because he was not <laughs> in our like year. Um, and he came up to me and he was like, hey, I, I'm, I'm sure he said something like that song was disgusting, but you, um, you're a good singer. <laughs> you should come audition for Little Shop tonight after school. And um, I'd never auditioned, sung. I, you know, I've sing for my friends, but like it was never like an actual thing. Uh, and he was really persistent throughout the day. Cause like at the time, and there's like a picture of me around that age, I feel like, who's just like re- in, in the video, I was like really chubby. I looked like Manny from Modern Family. Like I, I was like just so round. My face was just like, it was, really round uh, and <laughs> um, and my routine after school every day was to just go home and watch like Maury Povich or Jerry Springer and eat like binge eat like pizza rolls like that was kind of my that was my like thing uh, which is why I had such a round face and he uh, he was persistent and he was like uh, come 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 I'll walk you through everything he wanted to be Seymour um, he thought that I would be a great plant. And then it ended up that I was cast as Seymour and he was cast as the plant. Uh-oh. And, um, and that was the, that's how I fell into it. Um, and it, I was just really fortunate to be surrounded by, you know, I had a drama teacher. She's since passed away, but Ann Harris, I remember she had a parent teacher conference with my parents and she said, Mr. and Mrs. Salazar, there are like a million doctors in the world. Um, but there's only one George. And like, you know, yes, if he was a doctor, he could change the world, but he's really special. And like, you know, I think you should, you you guys should like let him pursue this as a career. My father being uh, a musician knew how hard it, 
you know, the artist's life is. And he didn't want that for me, right? He just wanted me to be really comfortable and not ever have to struggle. And um, and so he was a little resistant for a while. Uh, and then and then I ended up moving to New York. And, you know, of course, like, I made my Broadway debut in Godspell. And, you know, things like that start happening. And then he started coming around. And now they're just the most supportive, um, my biggest fans. But that's, that's so how cool. I accidentally fell into theater. So you said it was in it was in high school that you auditioned. Yeah. What so what grade was that? Do you remember? It was junior year. Junior year. So, so I'm like I was I, you know all my friends are like yeah I went to like theater camp when I was seven and right I, great I yeah I mean I I started so late right and so I also had a bit of a, a learning curve too you know because again like we didn't. I didn't have voice lessons growing up. Like I didn't start taking voice lessons until I was in college and it was it was paid for in my tuition. I you know what I mean? Like my parents obviously if I wanted voice lessons, I think they would have found ways to make it happen cuz they you know, I had piano lessons, I took guitar lessons, I took drum lessons. Um you know, I it, but the reality is like I just I all these people, all, all these friends of mine were like, yeah, you know, I started taking voice lessons when I was six and <laughs> it just wasn't my, that wasn't my story, you know? So I, you know, I think a lot of people, when they arrive to New York, they want to have like, um, they want to have their shit together, right? Um, but I have to tell you that like um, the bulk of my learning and growing um, was not in college. It was uh, like, on a job site in New York City, Absolutely. you know, like doing Be More Chill every night taught me so much. And by that point, I was 12 years into being in New York. Well, I want to come, so, come back to that because yeah. there's, a, there's a lot to unpack there. But the reason I asked about what grade you were in is, is I was wondering if it was junior year because that's that year when basically you're expected to decide what mm. you're going to be for the rest of your life. More or less, right? You, right? you you're not even out of high school yet, and you have to decide all of a sudden what you want to be, and then go to college for it, and then get a job afterwards. So junior year, you start doing the fairs and the tours, and some people even start doing the preliminary applications and whatnot. So were you had you at that point already like had shortlisted your med schools or or the path towards neuroscience or or neuro neurosurgery, and then all of a sudden you're just like, nope, screw it, I'm out. I got to start researching theater schools. Um, yeah, I mean, finan financially, um, I was kind of locked into Florida. Um, I did the international baccalaureate program in high school. Um, and the state of Florida at the time had a huge scholarship program through the Florida Lottery called Bright Futures. And Bright Futures awarded... Um, Basically, anyone who graduates with an IB diploma got a full ride scholarship to a state school. Wow! So I was, I was essentially like trapped in Florida, which was fine. Um, my sister went to the University of Florida for pre dent, um, and I just like fell in love with that campus every time we'd go to visit her. Um, and so, you know, if I had to choose a state school, I was going to go to the University of Florida, and um, I I did apply as a oh, bio standby. major. What? Yeah, my socks. Your socks are right there where you left them. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Uh, we got a time code. 
No, All leave right. it in. It's so sweet. <laughs> Dad I'm insisting you leave it in. Um, okay. Uh, All right. So where were we? Yeah. So I, I, the, the state of Florida had this scholarship through the Florida Lottery um, that gave you a full ride scholarship to a state school. So I was, I was, I was trapped in Florida, but I did apply as a biology major um, and got in. Um, got the full ride scholarship, thank God, right? Because so many of my friends go to these like huge musical theater schools where yes, they get like the, f- the phenomenal training, right? They have huge uh, debt. And 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 the casting directors all uh, graduated from those schools too, right? So there's like, you know, there's kind of, you almost get a little bit of a, a sense of like somewhat of a job security in an industry that is that has no job security, right? Um, and I, here I was, I was going to school in, in Florida where like my professors, they were teaching uh, and preparing us for a New York that existed in 1983. <laughs> like it was not, it was not, it was not, it was not, it was not the New York we know, right? It was not New York post Disney theatricals. It's, it's, it was New York 1983 uh, where you don't take the subway at night. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, that's, that's um, that was how the 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 kind of college hunt went for me. It was um, it was I I wanted to. I remember telling my dad like I want to apply to NYU for theater, and this was still at the time where he was like, don't don't go into theater. That you're not going to make any money. It's going to be you know, again the, these are con- these are valid concerns from immigrants who moved here. Right. Mm-hmm. My father knows better than anyone. He was a drummer in the 80s. He had a rock band in in Staten Island, New York, uh, the <laughs> culprits. Uh, and they they were good. And he's an amazing drummer. And it just like, it just didn't click. Um, he had me when he was 26. So that's, I'm probably, it's probably my fault. <laughs> uh, Are you the oldest of everybody? Um, oh, no, you said your sister's oldest. Old. I'm his oldest uh, kid, yes. Oh wait, I thought you said you, um, you have an older sister. Okay, so you're older. I do have an older. I do have an older sister. We have different dads. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. That's part of the love story of mm. my parents. Um, but um, but yeah, no. Um, he. I remember uh, it was my senior year of college. I did Sunday in the Park with George. I played George, and after that, he was like, I, I ran into him in the in the um, in the uh, atrium of the of our. Uh, school university theater and he was like crying and he hugged me and he said, I I get it now. Oh. Um, and, you know, up until that point, my father had seen me in shows where I was, you know, other than Little Shop when I was the lead, he saw me in a lot of shows where I was, you know, on stage for like four minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I think equated that to like my worth as an artists and individual and he's got to see me be the lead in a musical in my last year of college and he just like understood it um and so um yeah he's now like i said they're my my biggest fans and supporters did you graduate with the biology degree no i didn't i ended up uh switching to me i ended up switching to musical theater okay okay because i i think that would be super cool i mean your path obviously is super cool anyway but if you could just like 
I was going to ask you to spit out some biology facts for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I got I got into the school, and then and then shortly after that, I switched majors. Yeah. So I, I I didn't even start uh, biology. Did your general general requirements? Yeah. So then, out of college, obviously, did 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 you go to New York straight after college and like mm-hmm. show yeah. up and say hello world? Here I am. Yeah. So you know. Um, being this, being in this body and like being not quite Latino and not quite Asian and um, in the South where I went to school, you know, every summer everyone would, um, everyone would audition for summer stock jobs. Mm -hmm. And these are, these are theaters that do, you know, your carousels and Oklahoma's and seven brides for seven brothers outdoors, you know, like, um, stuff like that, that like, there's not going to be a role for me, right? Like these are, it, we're also talking the South, right? Mm-hmm. Like even theaters in the, even theaters in the South are racist. So, um, so I didn't, I never got, I never got summer work. Um, uh, and so what I would do instead was intern in New York City because I knew that that's where I needed to be. That I knew that like, I would never work as an actor staying in the South. I'd work at like a theme park. Uh, I'd be like in a either Chip or Dale, uh, you know, like uh, costume, sweating <laughs> my balls off, uh, being surrounded by screaming, crying children. Uh, that was like that. That that would have been it. So I would intern in New York, and my first internship was into my junior year of college with a general management firm, Martian Entertainment. Um, and at the time, they did like title of show, off Broadway, Alter Boys. Um, and then, uh, in my summer leading into senior year of college, I interned for Bono Brian Brown, who's big Broadway press office. Mm -hmm. And they actually covered, uh, Be More Chill, which was really cool. So it was a kind of a full circle thing for me. But, um, but yeah, as soon as I graduated, I was like, I need to get out of here. (laughs) I need to get up to New York immediately. So I think I spent like four weeks with my parents and then my mom wrote me a check for $900, which covered my first month of rent. And I moved <laughs> to New York. It's so cheap. Um, <laughs> it's so cheap. It was a studio. Yeah. It was a studio uh. in Sunnyside. 900 bucks and that was it. 900 bucks, literally a check for $900, two suitcases and a dream. <laughs> and that was that was all I had. And I... I um, and had to, you know, had to get it together and and work really hard to be seen and heard. That's that's been my experience uh, from the educational standpoint. I got a computer science degree. Then with that degree, started performing because why not? And I was, I felt at the time where I was at a, a great disadvantage um, I guess talent wise and training wise, because others had had the the camp since they were seven and the training since they were ten and whatnot. And I had always just gone into computers. And but where I had the advantage was uh, and how what allowed me to keep up with them was that I understood the business side of it, the tech side of it, because this was this was like mid two thousands when everybody needed to have a website and you had mm. to make sure you had a digital presence and you they were just starting to take auditions via you know via um, 
we used camcorders and recorded ourselves. Webcams weren't really quite a thing yet. But you had mentioned that, you know, your teachers, teachers prepped you for like the 1984 of, of New York. But did you show up to New York then thinking, I guess, realizing what you needed to do because of the internships? Or what, what kind of tipped you off to know that you were missing that business side of things? Um, well, that's what, I mean, that was the goal with those internships, right? The first internship I took, um, was eye-opening and I learned so much and I realized that I was going to be graduating and moving to New York with, with an advantage over my classmates because I was within one summer, I knew how to get around New York City. I knew, um, I knew all the neighborhoods. I knew how the business worked on the inside. Like I had that that insight. So whatever I lacked in um, skills uh, or training, rather skill skill not skill training. Whatever I lacked in training, I definitely had in. Okay, I you know especially that second internship working for Bono Brian Brown, like I really learned how to not give an interview. <laughs> like I I I kind of I watched people give really bad interviews, and um and so I realized that yeah no there is like um you know obviously I have more training to acquire, and I got to keep working on my craft, but I also there's this whole other side of the business and the industry that like no one told me about at school. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, um, look, I've always had to like rely on my personality. Like my, uh, growing up, like I wasn't like, you know, I didn't have looks. <laughs> I wasn't like, you know, a child model by any means. Um, and so I, I learned very early, um, how to kind of rely on, my personality. And at times it, be, it was a defense mechanism, but, you know, through the years I've learned how to like kind of pivot that and like use it as less of a defense mechanism and more of like, it's actually become who I am. Right. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Speaking I, and of giving bad interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just have some silence of dead air. Uh, <laughs> The, 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 what you're saying, Sadiko, the, uh, using your personality, I was literally having a conversation with a close friend of mine this morning about this sort of thing. And especially in the acting world, I was, I'm resistant to using the term empathic, like, um, empath, empathetic, what, one who is an empath, mm -hmm. right? And, I think it's kind of a hokey word, but yet at the same time, I think there's a lot of truth to it. And it's the ability to walk into a room and like you just, you're connected with your with strangers. You're connected with surroundings. You can tell who's happy. You can tell who's sad. You can kind of read the room in a personality-based way. And mm -hmm. it sounds like you exactly relied on that experience to, to mask insecurities to mask the the kind of identity crisis and deflect from people really seeing who you felt or seeing what you felt in the inside right yeah and and being more so able to uh to redirect and adapt yourself to who they are and so yeah. it's hard now to unlearn that behavior speaking from personal experience and just be yourself and then going back to what we we're talking about at the beginning, be okay with everybody accepting you for who you are and be okay with putting it out there. 
Yeah, I, 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 um, I remember very, very vividly the exact moment where I um, cut the strings off of my arms, like cut the marionette strings off of me and freed myself from the need for validation. And it, it happened in such a strange, strange way. I was with Nick Blameyer. We got stoned. Um, and we were, we were throwing ideas around, uh, writing ideas. Um, and we sat, uh, we sat in a, in a, uh, oh crap. What is that store? We work? Uh, Ikea? No, no. It's a, it's a furniture store. West Elm. We sat in, in the West Elm on the Upper West Side. Um, and we sat in like uh, in one of those like staged living rooms, like the de- like the the demo living rooms that they have. We sat in one, and we just sat, we were so stoned. We sat across from each other. We were throwing ideas back and forth. <laughs> I just think and it's funny Nick though that you get. Asked, I'm sorry to interrupt. You get stoned and go to West Elm, but anyway, continue. I don't know why we ended up in there. I think we just wanted us. We wanted to sit. Right. Right. <laughs> so we went to West Elm, and we were throwing ideas around, and of course, like. What can I what can I draw from in my own personal experiences? And Nick asks me completely out of the blue, why do you only date white guys? And I was like, it like knocked the wind out of me. And this is like a whole nother layer of the identity crisis, right? Of like, I... Growing up, I grew up in uh, surrounded by a lot of Filipinos and a lot of Latinos. And I, as I say in the video, really struggled with how much of one, how much of the other. Is there a way to be both? I don't know. You know, like the Latinos, I was called a coconut in high school because I was brown on the outside, white on the inside. Um, the Filipino kids would always say like, you know, when our, you know, my parent, my, my parents would meet another Filipino family and then we would all hang out and the kids, you know, I don't think they meant any disrespect, but they would ask like, you don't look Filipino. And I would have to explain, you know, it was like, I spent my whole life like explaining myself. And then I, and then I started, um, uh, then I, I weirdly was just like, felt around uh there's also this obsession with 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 my um my mother's side of the family with like white beauty and white culture i think this is a very like asian thing That's very right? asian yeah. um, there's a lot of like skin bleaching products um in the asian skincare world um and so you know that that definitely like played a huge role in things but um, I, in that moment, started to kind of decolonize my mind and like, um, it, it was a, yeah, no, it was, it really felt like a moment where like I was liberated from the need for validation, specifically from, from white people, um, you know, and, in, in, in this business, uh, you know, 99.9% of the time, my employers are white. So, 
there is a um, there is a a a, a, a really wild uh, need for validation from white people in the industry, and it was at that moment where I was like, I, you know, Nick and I had done. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom together. This was like, I think 2017. I was like out of a really like, um, uh, like terrible, abusive uh, relationship and was like starting to find my footing again. And, and that was a moment where I was suddenly like, I don't have anything to prove. Hmm. Like I don't, I have nothing to prove at this point. Um, I have to just trust that what I have um, is unique to me and is all I need. Um, I just need to continue being like a good person. I have to continue creating um, for other people, you know? Um, and um, and I need to stop worrying about other people accepting me. I need to like be ready to accept myself. Um, and it was a huge turning point in my like personal growth um, was having that stoned brainstorm session with Nick Blameyer in a West Elm on the Upper West Side. And it all stemmed from this question of why do you only date white guys? So 2017 was, I think that was between Off-Broadway and Broadway Be More Chill, right? Or was that as... That, be- no, that was right when Be More Chill was starting to get popular on the internet. So this was before... Because we brought we brought Be More Chill to New York in off Broadway in the fall of 2018. So this um, was just as things were starting to get like yes. um, really um, really intense with Be More Chill. Uh, in terms of my artistry, this lined up right before um, doing uh, the Lightning Thief, um, and. The Lightning Thief is a moment in my pro- in my personal process as an artist when things felt very different, and um, it was um, it was the first time where I felt like I wasn't. Um, I was actually encouraged by Stephen Brackett to just like listen to my impulses and just like create, and I ended up tapping into like a wavelength mentally that I had never experienced before in an artistic process, and. Um, it changed everything for me. Like it changed how I approach a character. It changed how I developed a character. I felt like my brain was firing like a, a you know a million beats a minute, and um, and it was really cool. Like I felt like I was like you know that part of the Matrix when like uh, Neo he finally like, awakes. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. and and everything around him becomes the Matrix, right? <laughs> and he sees the digits forming. Yeah, the agents and stuff. I, that's, that quite literally is what happened to me. And, um, and yeah, it was when I was able to like free myself from the expectation, um, that I'm creating, right? Like I'm creating expectations that I think other people have of me. And I just threw it all out the window and said, I'm just going to do it, you know? Um, and so I ended up, what I ended up creating with The Lightning Thief was like really powerful and exciting for me. And it was my first time getting like nominated for an award in New York. And it was all because I, I mean, I really do think it was all because of like a kind of a series of events that kind of led me um, towards realizing my fullest potential and that 
it has nothing to do with other people's perception of me or um, their opinion of me um, and everything to do with like how much I trust myself. Um, and so, you know, this is an ongoing thing because I left New York and moved to LA just when I feel like I was finding my footing as a theater artist. Um, and now I'm like, you know, uh, you know, trying to find my footing in front of a camera. And I'm now also trying to like find my footing in, in a recording, uh, situation for voiceover work. And like, I feel like I'm like learning all this stuff all over again, but I, as a human being, as a George Salazar, I feel like, um, I, I know who I am now. Uh, and that sense of, that strong sense of self, I think, um, is the thing that I was lacking for the many years when I was like stumbling and tripping and falling. I was wondering. Um, but that's life, right? Yeah. I was wondering what came first, if it was like the, the be more chill stardom or, or the self-discovery. Cause I, I don't think, I don't think you would have, you would be the person you are now, which is so self-aware and introspective if if you hadn't had that stoned experience at a West Elm, uh, because I, th my my guess is that carrying forward into the fame that Lightning Thief and then Be More Chill brought you, you it would have amplified the the need to please uh, mm -hmm. or, or the expectations that you were in essence just putting on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, one hundred and ten percent. I always, I always said because when I when I was doing Godspell, uh, and I was like meeting Broadway people, um, and was meeting a lot of people who like just graduated college and booked a Broadway show. I always looked at that and was like, I'm so happy for those people, but I would never want that to be my story. I've been really fortunate in that I, every step, every every trip, every fall, every success, every failure, I like fully embrace um, because I feel like all those things help to create to create the person we are in the, in the, in the now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I never would have wanted to like, you know, uh, make a Broadway debut right out of college because there's no, where do you go from there? Except down. <laughs> I you mean, know, I more mean, or you less. You can go up. You can keep going up. But like it, that's God, you know. But you know, coming from coming from a uh, from from the University of Florida to New York City, working at a, a seafood restaurant when I'm a, very allergic to shrimp. Um, uh, I worked at Bubba Gump Shrimp <laughs> Company Square for like Gump, yeah. three years. You know, like working that terrible, terrible job that was so soul-sucking but so necessary, you know, like doing a national tour of a, of a non-equity company of a musical and doing 72 cities in six months, which equates to like, you know, many one-nighters of like not getting any sleep and just being on a bus all day and then expected to like go do a show full out, you know, like every one of, every step along the way, um, just helped prepare me for the next step instead of like arriving and being like, ah, Broadway. Oh shit. It, that, just cause you are doing, just cause you do one Broadway show doesn't mean you're going to be on Broadway for the rest of your life, you know? And I think we've, we, we've learned a lot. Like I lost my equity insurance back in October, which I think is like really telling of the industry yeah, and like yeah. um, our country in general. But like the fact that like I was in a Broadway show the year prior and then now had no insurance was really crazy. You know, so 
every every step along the way makes us who we are. And um, yeah, man. Uh, well, I I cannot wait to to hear and see more from you. I mean, it's because you're you're going down this path and writing writing journaling expressing yourself in the way that you are is is going to take you to a place that that you've never been before and like you just said this this video that you put out uh for for works in progress it, it's the first it's the first where as you said you you're putting it out there it's yours no notes from big teams and it felt good and learning from that you're going to do more and you're going to do better. And I'm so excited to know what you've got in store. Don't tell us now. Of course, we want to be like totally surprised when it comes out. But um, I just think you are such a great person to to get to know and in the in the multiple ways we've worked together. And, and I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited for all your success. I'm excited for just even all your internal work. I'm trying so hard to like figure out who I am and all the all the internal workings of being a father and being this and being that and to talk to somebody who at least is heading down that same path. We're never going to get to the end, but it's experiencing the journey along the way. And yeah, it's experiencing the journey. It's and it's enjoying the journey, enjoying the journey as well. Like, mm -hmm. um, life is hard. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> for, ev for, for everybody. Um, and I think like, it, you know, you can either let it, ruin and destroy you and and or it can or it can like excite you thrill you and and you know push you to work harder uh in your in your in your art in whatever your work is but also like just as a person right we can all we can all afford to be better people always always learn always keep an open mind always just listen listening that's what yeah. makes a great actor that's what makes a great friend i think that's what makes a great business relationship you just listen that's it and i think this is a, a wonderful segue into our final three questions that i close out every episode with the first one and you may have just answered it is what motivates you um yeah what motivates me changes all the time uh but um, right now in this moment, I have, and they make special cameos in the video, but I have um, three gorgeous mixed race nieces and a very handsome mixed race nephew. And so what motivates me now is um, to kind of try to lead the charge um, and create, try to create a, a, a place for them uh, in the... Uh, entertainment zeitgeist kind of world um, so that they don't feel like aliens. I like that. Um, that's my motivation. So then the, the next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Um, I would tell them to... Start, uh, start, start the self-acceptance uh, journey sooner. Yes. Stop trying to please other people. Um, stop trying to live up to other people's ideas of what you should be and just start learning to love and accept yourself. Um, I, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong journey for everyone. Um, even the most attractive 
people can feel empty inside <laughs> sometimes, you know? So it's, um, I would just say start the, start the acceptance, uh, um, self-acceptance part of the journey um, ASAP. Uh, that means, you know, for me, I would tell young George, like, come out of the closet sooner. Um, just come out of the closet sooner. When did you come out? Uh, I came out to my mom in college. Uh, I didn't come out to my dad until I was 30. So, and my parents are married, so my mom had to keep that secret for a long time. Yeah, that's pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Um yeah, I just would have done it. I would have done it earlier. So then the last question is, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh my God. I, at this, in this moment, would see uh, Norbert Leo Butts and Sherry Renee Scott in the last five years um, at Lincoln Center. I believe that's where they did it. Yes, I think they did it there. Uh, I would see that show every night for the rest of my life. Norbert. And they can be so they good. can be themselves in the early 2000s when they did it or they can be like current Sherry and current Nor Norbert. I, I I they can still do it, I'm sure. Um, I'll take them at any stage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So everybody please check the show notes, watch My Identity by George Salazar. And there's a full playlist of his videos and everybody else's videos as well for the works and process artists. Visit him online at thegeorgesalazar.com. Of course, Instagram and Twitter at George Salazar. Is that everything? Did I leave it at, leave anything out? No, that's, that's it. it. Um, I will say, because the URL of my website uh, makes me sound like an asshole, <laughs> but it's, it's only because georgesalazar.com was already taken. And then years later, the owner of that domain tried to sell it to me for like $10,000, which is insane. So that that's the only reason why it's it's the George Salazar. It sounds very douchey. The URL of my website doesn't sound like it would come from the person that you've gotten to know over the last, you know, episode of this <laughs> podcast. So I, I just want to I just want to make that clear. <laughs> all right. Well, I on behalf of all my listeners, we forgive you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you can get more of me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. I'm on facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friends. This has been edited by Matthew Hendershot, music by Jukebox the Ghost. And George, thank you most of all. This has been so fun, so enlightening. And I was telling my friend this morning when I was talking to him, I said, I'm so looking forward to this conversation because I feel like you and I are just on the same path and I cannot wait for COVID restrictions to lift so that we can get together and have a drink yes. and yes. get stoned and just talk about it and talk about life experience the journey together love I can't wait thank you for having me Alan take a deep breath make the world a little colorful Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise.